how to be a leader of people your own age, the double-edged sword of toughness, and how to motivate teams when they're on a high and on a low, all coming right up. This is episode number 179 with one of the most disciplined men I've ever met, my high school baseball coach, Coach Mike Strickland. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My mission is to help you gain clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like and then provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person become a reality. Today, I bring you Coach Mike Strickland, who is one of the most successful high school baseball coaches in history in the great baseball state of Georgia. And he was my high school baseball coach. He's gonna tell you all about the importance of toughness and discipline on the diamond and in life. Be sure to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you to let me know you're listening. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with Coach Mike Strickland. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super fired up today to have my high school baseball coach here on the podcast. I just want to start off with saying thanks, Coach, for uh, welcoming me to your house and hopping on the podcast with me. Nick, thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm very excited to do this. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun. So Coach Mike Strickland has been the head coach at Marist since 2005. Now about 15 years, he has won three state championships, 2010, 2011, and 2017. Two state runner-ups, 2006, and uh, unfortunately there in 2013, the member of the Georgia Dugout Club Hall of Fame. He's been both the assistant coach and the manager of the 15 and under team USA national team um, in 2015 and 2016, respectively. But the way I just want to start today, Coach, is when did you decide that high school baseball coach was something that you wanted to get into and why? It was probably the middle of my junior year in high school. I guess I was smart enough to figure out that I was not going to have a very long playing career. Loved baseball. I played football and baseball growing up, uh, but just was really, really passionate about baseball and knew that some way baseball was going to be a part of my life. And if you're not going to play it, I didn't think I was good enough with numbers to get in a front office. I didn't think I was ever going to be able to survive law school and be an agent. So the next best thing to me was finding a way to stay on the field and coach. Okay. So that was an early on thought. When did you start to kind of through college and after college, when did you start to take action on trying to find a way that you could be a coach? Um, when I was in college, I graduated from the Citadel in 1992. I had an army contract, so I was I was ready to be commissioned as a second lieutenant. But during the summers when I would come home, my high school had a summer league team, and my old high school coach would let me coach the summer league team. So I'm in college coaching a high school summer league team, and I had made my decision that I was going to, to go into the military, hurt my knee, at the tail end of my junior year, the Army basically said, thanks, but no thanks. You're a little too injured for us. And I just kind of started digging in more to coaching. And then at that point in time, I had made the decision uh, to go into education. So now I'm sitting there, okay, well, uh, this attempt to go into the military didn't work out because of the injury. Uh, and I was a non-qualifier because of my knee. Uh, but I said, you know what, I'll, 
I'll make a living going into a classroom and teaching and coaching. So was the decision to go into education basically because you wanted to find a way to get into coaching? Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I love the topic that I teach. I'm a social studies teacher, so I've taught everything from geography to economics to U.S. history to AP micro when I was at South Forsyth. But yeah, there's, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't make any pretenses. I, I'm, I'm a coach who's good in the classroom because I'm a good teacher on the field. Mm, I like that. I like that. So I know personally that probably your days at the Citadel had a pretty big influence into your coaching style and coaching philosophy and stuff like that. Um, and we'll get into some of those specific things, but I want you to talk about how your days at the Citadel kind of impacted and influenced your coaching style and coaching philosophy. Uh, it, it had a tremendous impact. I, you know, I, I, I've had a, a chance to reflect on that a little bit this year, kind of thinking about putting a career together. And I, obviously my mom and dad and my family and, and what they instilled. But, you know, going to the Citadel is um, when, when I arrived in the August of 1988, it was a little different place uh, than it is now. And it's probably grown and matured and gotten better, but it was it was a hard place, and it was uh, it was a new and challenging environment that I had to quickly find a way to survive, to make it through. And then after I got to the point where I could survive and and kind of get through, it was like, okay, how do I excel in this environment? And so you learn those lessons of what is it that makes what made me want to follow other guys my age? You know, I've, and I've told you this, and, and I've told all my players this, the hardest thing about leadership is trying to get people your own age to be willing to follow you. It's, I think it's sometimes easier when you're older than someone to have that, that instinct leadership or that follow, hey, come along, I'm, I'm more experienced. But when you can do it with your peers, you're a true leader. So what were some of the things that you maybe learned back then that you have tried to coach to other people in terms of leading people your own age? I, I think that um, don't ever, ever ask or think about asking people who you're trying to lead to do something you either haven't already done or you're willing to do yourself. I think that that is tremendous. I think that uh, if you want to be a great leader, be the best model of greatness for the people who you're trying to get to follow you in all aspects of your life, whether it's coaching, whether it's teaching in the classroom, whether it's your faith, whether it's a business endeavor, you've got to model greatness in a way that's unmistakable if you want to be a great leader. And I think that that was something that was very apparent at the Citadel. And I think the third thing is, you know, it's all right to have shared misery and just be miserable and uncomfortable and be emotionally spent and emotionally invested to where you you really begin to wonder where does this thing I'm involved in begin and where do I end? You, you are so invested in it and you're invested in it with the people around you having shared the good and the bad, that that, that, was, a, that was a key component, I think, to, to hopefully 
what I've tried to instill in, in teams and players that I've had. I love that. Well, if you're a part of a team in any way, shape, or form, you need to go back and rewind about three minutes or so and replay that and write down those three things. But like I talked about, your coaching philosophy and coaching style that you learn from the Citadel has a big impact on how you how you coach. And you make your teams do strength and conditioning probably more than a lot of other high school baseball teams. And when you're going through it, a lot of a lot of people are wondering, like, why are we doing all this? It's just baseball. We don't have to be so conditioned. And probably a lot of people question it. So what is your answer to somebody asking you, why do you have your baseball team strength and condition so much? I, it's For me, it's really, really simple. Toughness. And being able to put together challenging, difficult, miserable conditioning experiences. You know, I always look at it as... If I'm going into a fight with a sword, I want two really sharp edges. I want a physically sharp edge and I want a mentally sharp edge. And what I've learned, what I've been able to hopefully develop and hone in on is being able to use those those events in our strength and conditioning program. And Scott Mandy is cut from the same cloth that I am who basically helps me come up with and plan and devise everything we do for our guys. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all built around on that one word toughness, but it's a combination of both physical and mental toughness, you know, and just taking a step further, I started thinking about, you know, I've been blessed to have a lot of success and I've coached, a tremendous number of great players. But I think that in the end, a greater part of the success came from tough guys who played great, not great players. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that I can even think of our team that had people that were definitely more skilled only because of the toughness that was instilled in us through the training for sure. I'm like thinking sure. a few people off the top of my head. So you, the Marist baseball team, ever since you've been there, basically has this culture of hard work. I think most people know walking around Marist that you do put us through strength and conditioning that is super tough, tougher than probably most sports teams that are at the school. And there's this kind of culture and this aura around it, I feel like. What do you think are some of the things that you did to be able to build this culture of strong work ethic? Uh, I, I think it's more, I, I don't think it's as much about what I did, but I think it's, it's as much or more about how players embraced it. You know, I, I, I just said a couple of minutes ago, I've been really, really blessed everywhere I've been. And I, I've been more blessed by others probably than I blessed them. Uh, but I think that at Maris specifically, you know, Dan Perez, who was instrumental really in kind of opening up that opportunity for me at Marist, was was there before I got there. And uh, Dan and I, we share the same love for the game, but we probably have complete opposite ways about how we're trying to get to the same finish line. And so I think guys very early on, even though they were shaking their head and they were questioning like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, I, I think that I think that early on guys started to buy into it and believe in it. 
And I think that's been as much passed down and handed down from year to year. And so I think that's probably the greatest reason for its impact and its effect and its certainty throughout our community. Yeah. And so, as you talked about, there's coaches in the past who were at Marist that maybe didn't have the same coaching style. And like you said early on, some of the players were probably shaking their head, like, why are we having to do all this? Have you ever gotten like significant flack from people on staff or parents or anything like that about your coaching style? And if so, have you ever questioned how you go about it? <laughs> so that's awesome stuff, man. That's a great question. You know what? I, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but I don't. I, very rarely do I interact with parents. And I try and make it clear to the parents in, in our program I want to build a relationship with your son, not you. And if you will give me the space to do that, there won't be much of a need for us to, to be talking with one another. You know, I think anytime you do something differently or you do something in a very unique way, that people are going to step back and, and initially want to examine and want to ask why. And that's, that's normal. It's, it, it's human nature. But I also think that one thing that, that Marist has done throughout the years with, with its coaches uh, and with people in key positions, they, they trust you, they hire you, and they say, be yourself and do your job. Yeah. Be successful in your own way kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and at Marist, I mean – it's not like I had to reinvent the wheel. I mean, it was it, our program has the richest tradition in the history of the state of Georgia, a great baseball state. And nobody can deny that. Nobody wants to deny it. So what do I have to reinvent other than maybe try to, to push to make that excellence, to challenge that greatness, and move it forward. Yeah, yeah, love it. So you've been coached for 15 years and you've had, like I mentioned, to start three state championship teams and two state runner-up teams. Is there anything that you've been able to think about kind of like through your reflection of your past teams that maybe are a couple things that make the difference between a state championship team or one of those great teams compared to all the rest that allows them to get over the hump compared to some of the rest? Hmm. I think championship teams are in, in high school athletics. I think you can get there a couple of different ways. I think that at Marist, because of our sense of community, I think that, um, that championship teams are a culmination. They're a culmination of a lot of, heartbreak and heartache and scars and coming up short and just it being excruciatingly painful. You know, when, when we lost in 2009, before we won the first one in 2010, I thought, I thought I was done coaching. I had never hurt like that at, at, I, I guess, both from a personal and professional and a relational 
side of it. I've never experienced that type of hurt. And it, it, it really probably started turning me into trying to coach the whole person more than just the baseball player because of that relational pain that I felt, not being able to deliver for my players. And then we went it in 10, and that was a culmination. We, we wouldn't have won it had we not, you know, had returning players not had been through the moments of the previous seasons together. You can be extremely talented, and, and we were in 11. And then, you know, we have a year like we had your senior year, and, you know, there's, there's these big scars that I carry around as a coach. You know, there was a 98, a 99 at South Forsyth. There was a 2003 at South Forsyth. There was uh, a 2006 at Marist and a 2009 and then in your class where you, you carry these tremendous scars of hurt that you feel for the guys. And it, it shapes you into a better coach moving forward. At least that's what I hope. I hope I'm a lot better of a coach today than I was two days ago. So I think this next question is going to be probably a little bit more pertainable towards players than it is for you because I don't think that you probably ever struggle with, I mean, maybe a little bit, but with complacency. Baseball season is a long season, especially if you are playing varsity baseball and like your career is a long career, especially if you're playing it from sophomore, junior, all the way to senior year. And especially with that, that class that you were just talking about, 9, 10, 11, some of those guys were so good. And it doesn't have to pertain to this class, but how do you prevent a baseball team that is being successful from becoming complacent with their success? You know, there's a, I think there's a bunch of different strategies that you employ as a coach. And I think that you can employ a bunch of different strategies if one thing is in place and is unquestioned, if your players know that you love them beyond what they can do for you on the baseball field, then you can employ, you, you can play the whole deck, so to speak. If, if my players know that my love for them is unquestioned and it is beyond the bounds of a baseball field, then man, I. I've got a deep, deep playbook. I can make them angry at me. I can challenge them. I can stress their belief, you know, and I can put stressors on what they believe in, who they believe in, who they want to follow. I can, I can find that that very tender line of how far can I push you to where I'm going to get a huge return from it than a, than a huge detraction from it. Uh, and so I think that that's experience, but I, I think all of those things you're talking about, about fighting complacency, I think it's, I, I think it's first based upon the premise of my players knowing that I love them and, and that love is beyond the bounds of just, what they do as a baseball player. Mm -hmm. And kind of on the flip side of that, I know I probably, a couple of the times when I was on the team and 
probably plenty of times over the 15 years. Like I said, the baseball season is a long season, so there's going to be those dull moments. There's going to be those times where the team is struggling and stuff like that. How do you get a team that is struggling re-motivated and have this rekindled fire and more belief in themselves after having struggled for a little bit? Um, I, you know, I, it, it's kind of funny because you talk about the, the last time that we won it in 2017, we got to the end of the regular season and we were 15 and 15. Um, and we had played, we had played okay at some points in our year. Uh, we had been very inconsistent, had a, a very big group of seniors. I think it was unquestioned about how I felt about them, how they felt about me. And I was willing to kind of probably remake, rework, re-energize myself in a way that helped them get a, an, an energy that maybe, you know, they probably uh, weren't sure they had in themselves. You know, one thing we always do in our program is we try and play the absolute hardest schedule we could play. And I, I won't ever forget going into the locker room before the state tournament started in 2017 with all those guys sitting around the locker room. And I told them, do you trust me? That's the question. That's the only question that matters. And I got yeses from all of them. I said, okay, here's what you've done in these first 30 games. And there were something like we had played 12 region champs, six or seven runners up. I mean, it was, yeah. And I said, so are you going to let 15 and 15 tell people who you are? Are you going to tell people who you are by what you're going to accomplish in the next month? You know, you get to decide the story how it ends, and how people tell the story about you today. And I think that, you know, I think you kind of, you know, you, I just kind of got the sense of guys bobbing their head oh, looking yeah. around, like, you know, yeah, let's go, yeah. <laughs> you know. I love it. Uh, and, I mean, you you sit there and you think, 15 and 15, you, you guys think you're contenders? Yep. Yes, yes, sir, I do. I think we're contenders, and I think we're a 500 club, and, and I still think we're contenders. So uh, it's just kind of one of those uh, incredible journeys. But I think that that speaks to what you were talking about. You know, even when you, you have your struggles, are you fully committed? Are you fully committed to what you believe in? Are you fully committed to what you're following, you know? Are you chasing something or are you following something? Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, I think that that plays really do. Yeah, I love it. I've got me fired up just sitting here. I just want to get back on the baseball field. <laughs> but I think that's a. I mean, I think that's such a life lesson. If somebody's going through a bad time or screwed up, it's like don't let what you did in the past define who you're going to be in the future. You can realize you can have a. You can write your own story from there on out. Yeah, it. it you know, and it takes a lot of courage especially in athletics, you know, how, how, how quick have you looked at a statistic or a record and said, 
That team's no good. Right. Man, that guy's not good. And it, it, it takes courage to go about your craft the next day with tremendous energy and passion because I'm not going to let a statistic or a record identify me. I, I have the power to identify what type of teammate I am, what type of person I am, what type of worker I am, what type of player. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you're, a, you're, a, you're a pretty humble guy, but I want to see if you can muster up a couple of things for this next question. So you are a super successful coach. You've had a lot of success over the years. What are some things that you think that you do, maybe two things that you do that a lot of other coaches don't do that have allowed you to have a lot of success? I, I think that accountability of all my players, regardless of where that player fell on the talent level, you know, and, and those non-negotiables that, that we talk about all the time, um, you know, your character is important. And um, I, you know, not budging on that, regardless of how talented you are, and not and not letting a player get away with thinking, well, nobody will question me on this because I'm this good of a player. So why do you think that's been such an important part to being successful? Because uh, I think I, I, I guess it gets back to what we we talked about a little earlier i think people with great character mm. are exceptionally tough i i think I, I i think that they don't back down they don't run uh they don't look for excuses they don't look to transfer blame i think that uh, i think people with great character are are tough and if you're tough and you'll let somebody push you and you're passionate about something, I think the sky's the limit for you. I, re I really do. And, you know, whether it's coming from within or whether it's your part in the team, I think that I think that, that character and that toughness piece is just really hand in hand. You know, the second thing, I, I think the fact that our practices start with conditioning. I, I always want to build a certain stress level um, when we practice. Um, you can do it with the pace at which you practice. You could do it with the difficulty of the drills or the conditions that you put into play in your practice. Uh, but I always want to start it out by by getting you physically pushed to a level of uncomfort and then say, okay, now let's go put in the mental work and the focus and the fundamental work and the concentration work on the skills of the game while we're tired. Let's not do it while we're the freshest. Let's, let's do it after you've been mashed on a little bit and, and see how that works. Mm -hmm. And I think – one of the things I thought I thought about that when you mentioned those two things and the thing I thought about was you're probably one of the most 
intentional coaches I've ever been around and the way that you organize out a practice and the way that we have it super structured every day. When you walk into the dugout to start practice, you have a very structured layout. What time this just this drill is going to start, what time it's going to end, how much rest we might have in between, all this kind of stuff. And basically you create the structure and because you kind of place the trust in all of us to make sure that we stay on that time schedule and we stay on the timestamps and are pushing ourselves throughout all of those things. So I think that that to me is one of the things that always stood out to me and it always made me feel like I got the most out of a practice. And I know us players, while the conditioning was tough and the practices were tough, we very much looked forward <laughs> to practice because we knew we were going to get that much better out of it. Well, th- thank you. That's, uh, you know, I've, and, and I've said it a million times, I, I, I love practicing, <laughs> man, I, you know, and, and I, you know, going back to one of your questions that you ask about one of the things that people probably have questioned more than anything is probably the length of some of our Saturday practices. <laughs> <laughs> As you hear Nick laugh, oh, yeah, I remember those, you know. And, and, and I unashamedly called it, you know, for a while, the Saturday six, you know. We'd be out there and, listen, it was, it was, it was a work day and it was going to get done. And I, I don't care if it drags at this point. I don't care if it's painful at this point. We're going to dig in, and I'm going to challenge you all the way to the finish line. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so this next question is going to be a two-part question. The first question is just yes or no. Do you believe that you're the best coach you currently could be right now? Or do you believe that you're the best coach that you can be right now? No. Okay, so let's – and that was the, hopefully I was, that was going to be the answer. So let's place an imaginary thing where you're currently right here at your coaching expertise. And there's this imaginary best, best coach for Strickland somewhere down the road in the future. And there's this gap between you and that best coach. What are maybe two things that you would need to do to close that gap? Okay. Two things that I would need to do to close that gap. Uh, number one, especially this day and age with baseball, the game and the way it's, it's playing is get better with all the, the data, the technology and the analytical side of it. Uh, I, that's, it's, it's really kind of funny, but that's uh, every summer I try and choose one facet of the game where I just completely throw myself into it because I, I, I try to, I try to self-evaluate and recognize where my weaknesses are. We have exit interviews with the seniors and, you know, and I ask them, what do I need to improve to help this program take another step forward? And I listen to what, what the seniors tell me on the way out. And I just, I, I really got a sense that, you know, the game today, they they put so many metrics on so many movements, whether it's the spin rate with Rapsodo or whether it's exit velo um, with blast motion or, or, or just a, an incredible array of technical stuff. But really being able to use that data and that available technology to push us forward. 
our program, um, that would be one thing. And then I think um, the second thing would be continue to place more and more value on my relationship with each player, making our relationship as a team that much better. So I think that's that's probably too good as opposite ends of the spectrum is from a human relational component to the, the technical yeah. component of it that, uh, cause to me that relational side, man, that's, if you don't have that, you can, you can know, you can create new technology that's going to make better players. Your, your teams aren't going to be that good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love asking those types of questions because I think that, People, if they ask themselves those types of questions more often and whatever it is and whatever profession they do or in their relationships, like what is separating me from being all that I could be and then trying to fill in the gaps and you know what some of the things that you need to work on and you know what actions you need to take um, from that point forward. So this is going to be a little bit more of a personal question. We've talked a lot about baseball. Um, what are What's maybe something that you learned about yourself after having three kids? So you have three kids now. Uh, Davis is here sitting with us, uh, <laughs> listening in. So I'll just start start off. How old are your three kids, and what are the what's something that you've learned about yourself since having them? Uh, our oldest, Emma Grace, is a senior in high school, and we have twins, Margaret and Davis, who are in the eighth grade. I think what my kids have given me, the gift they've given me, is they're not looking for me to be perfect. They're looking for me to love them. And I spend a lot of time, I think, trying to be the perfect dad, the perfect husband, the perfect coach. And I'm, I'm expending energy, chasing something, perfection, that I know I'm not gonna get and man, how much better of a dad, husband, coach, friend, son, brother would I be if that energy was turned into, I just want to love you. I, I just, I, I, I want to I, I love you and I want to challenge you and I want to hold you accountable and I want to lift you up and let you know that you don't have to be afraid of failing. Go and go and just let it out, but be passionate in whatever you do. Mm -hmm. I love that. Another kind of more more personal question. You're a super committed individual. You work out a lot. You're super disciplined in the things that you do and the, the way that you hold other people accountable and the way that you hold yourself accountable. What are maybe some of the things that allow you to follow through on some of the difficult things that you say you're going to do? For example, a lot of people say they're going to work out but they don't fall through on that. A lot of people say that they're going to do difficult things, but for whatever reason, they chicken out or they back out of the situations. What are things that allow you to follow through with some of the tough things that you go into? Um, I, I think that over the course of probably the past five or six years, I would say the thing that's probably allowed me 
to be more committed to the tough things day in, day out has been an awareness of my faith and why do you say that? Because, you know, faith is, my faith is strong. I've had it all my life, but I think I've leaned on it and it's propped me up more than I've tried to live it and share it. And so I think when you get, when you get committed are convicted to that point where you recognize, you know, my faith is is calling me to live a life that it's different. Um, well, it's it's going to look different in how you do little things, um, how you pay attention to small details, how you follow simple instructions. I think that was probably the beauty about Christ at the end, you know, the Great Commission. You know, love the God, love your God with all you got every day, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are simple instructions. Yeah. You know, what's your life look like if you do that? You know, so I think that, uh, I think that sometimes I'm guilty of overcomplicating things and I think that that real firm foundation or commitment to faith simplifies a lot of things yeah I think remembering the the simple things can allow you to come back to center sometimes if when you do try to over overcomplicate things because I I know I can relate to the same thing for sure that's almost as good as on your marks and turn it <laughs> yeah you know, I tell you what that that's a, there's a great story in that that was probably one of the most kind of key critical moments in 2017. We got into a, a couple of three game series and uh, I, I was stressed. And you know me, when, when we get to game three, I'm really emotional. And uh, I, I walked into the locker room and I told our guys and I, I went and I, I, I had a dry race marker and I just wrote it on our whiteboard on your marks turn it you know and for our program you know what it means it means you're getting ready to go run a time lap and after you run that time lap and you're going from 70 to 68 and from 68 to 66 and you hear that word turning again you know you've got to turn back and face it and go back to your mark again um, that's fate you know that's that's kind of those simple things that, you know, every guy in our program, regardless of what year, as long as we've been running turn timed laps, if you hear on your marks or you hear turn it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. It's, it's unmistakable. unmistakable. Yeah. It's, it's a, a shared experience that some guys to this day, they still talk, man, that makes my stomach turn just thinking about it a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. You I can, know? like, picture people on our team, like, throwing up and stuff. That's, like, one of the first things that I thought about when you said it. Sure, but that's, you know. And I, but we use that everyday language to be something that galvanized us in that critical moment of competition. Yeah. 
And you know what? I, because you brought that up, I remember the moment where you brought us my senior year. You brought us all seniors. I think there was maybe six of us or something like that into the room when we were struggling. And you talked about how we need to believe in ourselves and put our confidence in the work that we are putting in that everybody else isn't putting in. And to this day, I think I had probably had some confidence before then because of the work ethic that I had, but I don't think I ever thought of it, thought of it like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And ever, ever since, since you pointed that out, I've been able to kind of put my hat on that and kind of think about that to, to give me confidence moving forward. And that's that, the reason I say that is because that's what I thought of when you talked about writing on, on your marks, uh, turn it for the other players because that almost subconsciously for them can be like, yeah, we put in a hell of a lot more work than our opponent that would yeah. face. No doubt. That's awesome. yeah. Yeah. Well, before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you, Coach, because I think you hit on it a couple times, but how you always want to make sure that you show love for every single player. And I think every past player that you've coached who's listening to this can very much feel that and felt that when they were coached by you and know that that is uh, everlasting. That's why I'm sitting here today, <laughs> but seven years later, um, and you were the first one to get on our ass when we screwed something up, first one to hug us if we, if we fell down, and you have a hell of a way of motivating young men and motivating young individuals to uh, see what we're capable of. So, thank, thank you very, very much. much. Of, course. of course. So the last question I always ask everybody is I believe that getting close to the best version of yourself is a constant journey. I don't think that we're ever at that best version, but hopefully on our last breath, we can have as much confidence as possible that we did as much as we could to get as close as we could. And I also believe it's a unique journey. I believe that the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if you could currently do three things or work on three things to get closer to that best Mike Strickland that you could possibly be, what are the three things that you could currently do or currently work on? It, uh, the three things that I'm working on right now are two are, are the part of a, of a two year project. Uh, about two years ago, I read a book called 15 to 28 by Matt Deggs. Unbelievable story. And he started talking about the standard that you want your program to operate by. I've, I've, I've written these 10 standards of Marist baseball. And I spent a couple of years and, and we give it to every player in the program from the middle school team up to the varsity team. Uh, this is Marist baseball. This is the standard that we, we practice by, we go to school by, we pray by, you know, this is the standard. And uh, this past year, I really started looking at those 10 things and those 10 things can be broken down into three big things that I'm working on. Discipleship. What will I be a disciple of? Will I be true to it? Will I follow it? Stewardship. And, and, and I'm not, I, I believe tithing is very important, um, but I'm talking about the stewardship that God has given me certain talents and abilities and it's, it's my job every day to give my best to those people who I'm supposed to be having an impact on. Am I a steward of what the good Lord has blessed me with? 
Uh, so stewardship, you know, we talk so much about give your best effort. Well, that's the ultimate in stewardship, giving my best effort with what I have every day. And then the, the third thing, relationship. Can I build genuine relationships that are authentic enough to handle, I love you, you're doing great, and also handle, hey, what you're doing isn't good. It's not right. It's not what you're meant to do. You've got, you've, you've got more of a sense of purpose. There's so much more for you to go and fulfill. Get back to what your passion is. So those, those three things that, uh, that I think are going to get me to that imaginary level of, of, you know, the best coach or the best version of myself or work on my discipleship, you know, be a, be a better steward and, and build better relationships. I love it. Three great ones. Well, that's all we got, Coach. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it, man. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this super special episode with Coach Strickland. Remember with toughness, it's a double-edged sword, mental and physical. Having just one is okay, but having both will complement each other. Make sure you send this episode to someone who is a leader of any sort of team or group. All great leaders are always curious about how to improve, so give them this gift of learning from one of the best and Coach Strickland. Remember, when you're a leader, coach the person, lead the person. If you can show each individual that you love them for them and you want whatever is in their best interest, it'll go a long way, not only in your ability to lead them, but your ability to lead the entire team. When the entire team sees you loving each individual and leading them as a person, their respect for you will shoot through the roof. And that's exactly what happened with Coach Strickland and his players. So go out there and don't be afraid to be a leader of others your own age. Lead the group by being a model for greatness in everything that you do, and they will follow. Be tough physically and mentally and be a great leader so you can get closer and closer to your best you.